you're going to be lost in the system, you're going to either end up dead or you're going to suffer with severe mental health problems. It's only by the grace of God that I haven't taken my own life. I've seen people come in and out, in and out, in and out, and I look at them and I say, what a waste, what a waste, because there's people like me and Nicole that are begging to get out, to be with our families, because it's our families that are affected as well. They know you're not a risk to society, yet because you've got IPP at the end of your name, that's what's stopping you from getting out. It's nothing to do with your offence at all, nothing to do with it. Earlier this year, the trap team attended the Westminster Hall debate on imprisonment for public protection. It was soon after the government had rejected the main recommendation from the Justice Committee inquiry to resentence all IPP prisoners. So we've just come over from Central Lobby into the cafe in Parliament. I met two women in Central Lobby trying to lobby their, um, their MPs. They're both IPP prisoners on licence, so we thought we'd sit down in the cafe and just have a chat with them. After the debate, we met two women, Nicole and Madison. Both have received IPP sentences and both had served time way beyond their tariffs. My tariff was um, four years, less than 215 days spent on remand. I ended up doing 12 years. Here's Madison. And I came into prison at 18. I was in an abusive relationship and um, it was self-defence and it was um, put out in court that it was self-defence. My judge, he was retiring on that day and I was his last case. Um, And I think that it was a massive injustice considering my age. I was 18 with no previous convictions whatsoever. And um, yeah, I got given an IPP sentence because they said I had no remorse. But when you're abused, you struggle to find remorse for the person that is abusing you. And here's Nicole. My tariff was 18 months. I served four years. I got my IPP in 2007. It was for aggravated burglary, theft and ABH. I've had three recalls since then. I haven't re-offended since my index offence. And yeah, I just got released from prison February 2nd, 2023. This is Trapped, episode nine, and I'm Sam Asamadu. Today we're tackling two stories. It's the first time we've included women IPP prisoners' voices in the series. They're a small contingent of the IPP cohort, but their stories are important. I'm also talking to two lawyers, Emma McClure and Andrew Sperling, whose firm had been representing Matthew Price, who was an IPP prisoner on licence when he took his own life in May 2023. He had a deterioration in his mental health. Here's Emma McClure to explain. And as a result of that, he had um, made an attempt on his own life. He accepted he had mental health problems and he wanted help with those mental health problems. But admitting that he had those mental health problems and seeking help for those mental health problems would keep him stuck in the IPP cycle and and with this IPP licence forever. It wasn't something where somebody had sort of spotted him behaving bizarrely or in a kind of worrying way. And here is Andrew Sperling. He'd gone to them and said that he was really struggling. And, you know, obviously the fact that, you, you know, he, he made an attempt on his life indicated that, that things weren't very, weren't great. That doesn't necessarily mean that he should be put in a situation where he was at risk of being returned to prison, which was, you know, obviously the kind of terror that he had at the back of his mind. 
Like Matthew up until his death, Madison and Nicole are both on a life licence, which enables their probation officer to recall them back to prison at any time if they break their licence conditions. When you were convicted, did you know what an IPP was? Was it explained to you by your solicitor or judge? No, I was told I was going to be given a determinate sentence. Bearing in mind I had no previous convictions. Yeah, and when I went down to the dock, my barrister said, you were given an IPP, this is wrong, you shouldn't have got one, and he explained it to me. But because I was so young, 18, I did not have a clue even what he was saying. And obviously then I thought that after I've served the, the minimum time, that I'd go in front of the parole board and I'd get my parole. That's what I generally thought. Didn't think 12 years later it would be release. And obviously if I count the year I did inside, 13 years. Did you talk to other IPP prisoners while you were there? Yeah, I did, talk. did, I did talk to a few other IPP prisoners, individuals, and I think in the female estate it was kind of just not really spoke about because there wasn't many. And I think as time went by, then more started getting IPPs. I had never heard of an IPP ever. Um, when I was up for sentencing, my barrister said to me, look, about six years, maybe 10, six minimum. So that's kind of what I had in my head. And then when I was in the dock, and it was a recorder judge that gave me the sentence, and he said, yeah, I'm sentencing you to 99 years with a minimum time. I didn't even hear the rest. I literally collapsed in the dock. Like, did I hear right? I'm like, I'm looking at my barrister, and my barrister's like, and he's come over, and I'm like, what, what's, what's happening? And he's saying, so basically, then he explained to me briefly, but you know, like, it was just like white noise. I was I was confused and I I I knew that there was a few girls in the system already and I, what I was hearing it was horrific like there's no way we're not getting out As of December 2022 there were 40 women in custody serving imprisonment for public protection sentences This includes 12 women who have never been released and a further 28 women who have been recalled it's rare to hear their stories, so we were keen to highlight them. As an IPP, it's like you're constantly walking on eggshells. If staff don't like you, you're buggered. They mark your card and they will make your life hell. Because I knew I was coming up for parole. You know, when an officer spoke to me disrespectfully, I had to just take it. I couldn't do nothing. The impact it would have had on me was I would have lost my, my liberty. Women prisoners make up just 5% of the overall prison population in the UK. Women's prisons have become much more violent than men's prisons, according to the latest figures from the Ministry of Justice. The rate of assaults in women's prisons rose by 21% last year to 419 per 1,000 women prisoners, the highest since records began more than 20 years ago. This was 65% higher than the rate in male prisons. The female population is very bitchy and very clicky. If you don't associate with the people you shouldn't, but people you should, then you get bullied and you get ridiculed and you get targeted. It's a fight or flight situation, especially in the female estate, because it's so, so bitchy. And when they know you're coming up for parole, they will, they will take you down out of fear that they're gonna lose their friend. It's like sleeping with the enemy. You may think they're your best friend, but they will stab you right in the back. Because it's probably out of fear that I'm going to leave. Because I'm not being big-headed, but no one could tell me nothing on that landing. Nobody. Because I held my own, but I also had a job to do, and that was to get out to my family. 
and to not let anybody take that away from me. But also, I wouldn't let anyone tell me what to do. But it's, a, it's really, really difficult because we are vulnerable, but we don't want to show that we're vulnerable. Because as soon as you show vulnerable or fear, they will walk all over you. There was an officer, I'm not going to mention her name because she'd probably go mad. She was offering out all the residents, mainly the, the, the lifers, offering them out on the landing for a fight. And she offered me out for a fight and I said, and it was in front of another officer. She had her arms up and she was saying, come on then, come on then, like that. She's been suspended a few times. So I put a formal complaint in to head office and she got removed from wing duties. Do you know where they put her? Safer custody. Women are just as vulnerable as men to violence in prison. However, if you're an IPP, it could be held against you at a parole review and prevent your release. Three days before my release, I, I was attacked by a convicted murderer who had just been knocked back on her appeal. She knew that I was um, due to get out on the Thursday. On the Sunday, I was in the laundry room and she ran up into the laundry room and she attacked me with a weapon. There was a member of staff standing there who did apologise for his delayed reaction. He said that he was a little bit confused as to what was going on. You could see that this inmate was kicking and punching me and I just stood there with my hands up like that because I wasn't going to have nobody say that I put my hands on this woman and after 16 years of no, no violence, three days before my release, I get into a fight and I just thought, I'm not going to lie, my ego was a little bit bruised, but I was actually quite proud of myself because 20 years ago, I'd almost probably knocked her out. You know, I'm, I'm really proud of the progress because that's not something that I would have walked away from years ago. As Madison and Nicole are now out on licence, I asked them what interacting with their parole officers was like. Probation service, they just treat you like you've just committed the offence. And I keep saying to probation, you've got to bear in mind, I haven't committed an offence since I was 18, I'm now 32. When I was released in 2011, on my first parole release, I was out in the community for seven and a half years. I'd done so well, I excelled. I'd done mentoring schemes with the Prince's Trust. I was doing seminars and talks on criminality, drug addiction, uh, domestic violence. I even worked in a police probation hostel for four years. I was a, a, a substance misuse support worker. So I'd done a lot in the community. I even co-founded a project in Southampton called Rewind, which was um, ex-offenders, mentoring offenders. And it done so well that I got an award from the mayor. You know, my, I invite my probation officer to come to the award ceremony and she came. My name started getting out and about in a positive way. Nicole has been recalled back to prison three times, despite never committing another criminal offence. Her problems were drug-based, a licence condition which gets you recalled by probation. And Nicole told me how her relapse was triggered by a sexual assault. It was unfortunate that I was, I went through a trauma, I was sexually assaulted and I relapsed. I was ten and a half years clean, I relapsed and she recalled me. I still feel that I am viewed as the person that I was when I committed the offence. I was 26 then, I'm 43 in August. Do you know what I mean? I haven't re-offended. Um, there's no, been no forms of violence. I have relapsed twice, but that was because of situations that happened to me. In terms of, you know, um, yes, it was hard hitting when I got recalled. I don't feel that I deserved to be recalled, but I came out of it a stronger version of myself. 
Nicole and Madison have both been through harrowing experiences and their resilience and ability to survive the broken system really struck me. Some others haven't been as able. One such person is Matthew Price. On the 22nd of May 2023, Matthew wrote an email to the Justice Secretary Alex Chalk, Damien Hines and other Labour and Conservative Lords and MPs and his lawyers. In the email, he described the suffocating experience of being an IPP prisoner on licence for nearly 10 years and the poor mental health he was forced to hide for fear of being recalled back to prison. Less than a month later, he took his own life. Emma and Andrew took time to explain to me why Matthew took this desperate action. The nature of this sentence and the fact that you can be recalled means that effectively, you know, it could be said that you're, you know, being mentally unwell is effectively going to result in you being returned to custody. That is quite a common scenario. And I and I think that was really, really played on his mind. It is quite the way he explains it in his own words in that email was really stark. The only way I can keep my risks low is to live this pretense that everything is okay when I know it's not. Our producer Steve is reading Matthew's email for us so you can hear Matthew's desperate cry for help in his own words. The truth is I need mental health support and I feel the need to be back on medication to be able to cope with this sentence. But I'm too scared to ask for it because doing so will go against my chances of ever bringing my sentence to an end. My mother can't believe that she lives in a country where this is actually happening in this day and age. I don't think the wider public can either. I'm stuck in a never-ending cycle of which suicide is quite possibly really the only way out. Asking for help will go against me. Not asking for help will most likely kill me. He felt quite isolated for a lot of the period of time and a lot of that was to do with is fear of recall. So the offence that Matthew was in prison for, it was a wounding offence against a friend that he talks about in his email. And as a result of that, he had a very limited social circle. He didn't make friends. I had the impression from him that that was on purpose to make sure that it didn't happen again. And as a result of that, um, he struggled very much generally and socially. At the time that he emailed us, um, he was experiencing another dip in his mental health and he had felt he needed to leave work. He had stopped working because of his mental health. And that was another sort of isolating thing for him at that time. His father passed away um, and that was another difficulty for Matthew in that he felt he couldn't fully express the grief that he felt for that loss um, because he felt that, you know, too much grief or being too upset about something could be seen as, as concerning to probation and lead to him being pulled back to prison. Surely, in a supposedly just country, me recognising that I've got mental health issues and wanting to seek the support I need should be seen as a positive move rather than me instead being fearful that this is seen as negative behaviour and poor coping that will go against me. The never-ending and never-knowing nature of this sentence feeds poor mental health. This guy had been out a long time, so this, he hadn't been recalled. Yeah, since, since 2013. Yeah, so he'd been out nearly 10 years, had been objectively doing reasonably well, but was obviously experiencing dips in his mental health every now and then. 
whenever that happened, his terror was that he was going to be returned to prison. You have an extremely long period. Um, at the moment, you know, there's some discussion about it being reduced to, from 10 to five years. But, you know, at, at the moment, and certainly for Matthew, it was a, a long, long period in which you've always got that spectre of if something goes wrong for you, you're going to be hauled back to prison. He's got to a point where he's quite close to the possibility of having that license removed, but he was still terrified about the fact that, that either that wasn't going to work or that he was going to ruin his chances by coming forward and saying, I'm really struggling here. It's difficult to get your head round, I think, if you, if you don't experience it, but he really isn't the first person who's kind of conveyed how oppressive that living day to day with that hanging over, here, uh, over you is. It was quite clearly playing on his mind in a you know, really quite intrusive way. March 2020 is when he made the first attempt on his life. And then following that, they um, reinstated the supervision element of his license. At the start of 2023, probation were of the view that he was stable enough to have the supervision element of his license removed again um, and his probation officer was, was in support of that but that's when we then have another issue which is the delays that are involved in this system because even though his probation officer was supportive of the resuspension of his license at that point early in 2023 by the time Matthew came on our radar which was around May of 23 that application hadn't been dealt with yet and you hadn't had an answer to that yet and that also again played into his mind around the the oppressive nature of this. Is this ever going to end? I've been told it's getting resuspended, but it's not happening. The qualifying period for terminating the license period for IPPs is currently 10 years, although this period is currently under review by Alex Chalk. The system works like this for individual cases. The prisoner's probation officer will write a report for the parole board at the 10-year point, even if they're not supporting the termination. Once the documents are in, the parole board can decide to end the licence, change licence conditions or refuse the application outright. You know, these are people's lives and this is something where he had a very strong case actually, first for suspension but also for termination. And if, if these applications were dealt with more, more quickly, more sympathetically and with an eye on the fact that this is actually really, really important to somebody that might actually change some of this. But it is painful how slow some of this works. I've seen it take 18 months for, for the probation service to complete a report that was due 18 months ago for termination applications. Even if your paperwork is in perfect order and supported by your probation officer, it's far from guaranteed that the licence termination will be granted. From April 2022 to May 2023, 379 applications to have licences ended went to the parole board. Of those applications, 160 were granted and 213 were refused, a grant rate of just over 40%. You know, we have other cases where, you know, some we're, someone's expecting that their, their case is going to be referred to the parole board and it just sits there because the probation service haven't written a termination report. 
it's not something that should take months. It really isn't. It's something which is compiled from their kind of ongoing running record of contact with that person, expresses an opinion. And the point is, is that's not the last word either. It's a, it's a process where it has to get to the parole board and the parole board will ultimately make, ultimately make a decision. But if you don't get a case to the parole board for months and months and months, it delays the, the possibility of somebody's licence being ended. And, and it also leaves it longer for something to go wrong. Matthew's circumstances were not the worst, but you know that's kind of it's kind of indicative of the, how poor this system is. Is that you know we're like, well, that wasn't so bad. It was only three months or four months, and it it really isn't good enough. I've had client IPP termination clients whose ten years has flown past while we're waiting for probation to complete a report. Even those on whole life orders or on any other sentence, at least have a sentence that brings clarity for both victims and offenders of the sentence that's being served. Even if they'd hung me, there would have been a definite ending and clarity. The truth is that this long abolished IPP sentence has proved to be capital punishment through the back door in many cases. This is a cry for help because this never-ending sentence and the not knowing has crushed and broken me and I don't know what to do for the best anymore. I've now been released from prison for almost 10 years, yet I'm no nearer knowing when or if this nightmare will ever end. If I'm eventually forced to end my life as the only way to bring an end to this never-ending psychological torture I'm feeling, then at least I'll go knowing I'd made a serious and genuine plea for help. Matthew was, he was always very pleasant and polite towards me. I enjoyed talking to Matthew, but he was very concerned about his case and almost every conversation we had, there would be some element of him talking about, you know, feeling hopeless and feeling stuck and thinking that he was never going to get out, out of the situation that he was in. I noticed in this email that he said having a life sentence or a whole life order is better than having an IPP sentence because of the indefinite nature of it. And he compared it to sort of capital punishment or maybe capital punishment would be better. Yeah, because he, he felt at least that, that those two things would have definite final outcomes for him. Like if he'd had a whole life order, he would know it was never going away. And if, if there'd been capital punishment, then there would have been an end to it for him. There were 19 suicides of IPP sentenced people in the community in the 24 months leading up to 2022. In the United Nations letter to the Ministry of Justice in August 2023, they say, Your Excellency's government has human rights obligations and duty of care owed to all persons deprived of their liberty or who remain released but technically within the custody of the state. How did you come to know that Matthew had taken his own life? I spoke to him a couple of times on, on a Friday um, about his case. And they were fairly, they were routine conversations for us. He didn't, obviously he was distressed about the entire situation, but he wasn't particularly distressed in, in those conversations. That was on a Friday. And then the following week, I received a message, uh, a call from his sister, um, who called to inform me that Matthew had taken his life on that Friday um, after we had spoken. And uh, the reason that she, um, was calling me was because um he had provided he had sent her my name and number before he had before he had uh, taken his own life emma called me after she'd spoken to his sister you know it was awful thing to happen 
obviously to Matthew and for his family, but it's like, it was really awful for Emma to get that call. You know, I think that also being told that she was the, might have been the last person to speak to him has kind of massively played on her mind since. You're always, whether it's logical or not, you're always wondering whether or not you could have done anything any differently and, you know, whether there's anything that you could have done to prevent it happening. I'm mindful that I probably am coming across as fairly calm and collected about the situation, but I am doing quite a lot of work to maintain to maintain that <laughs> impression. It was it was really quite distressing in that because I, I understand that I was the last person to speak to him, and I also missed a further call from him that day, which plays on my mind a great deal. I get a lot of calls from a lot of clients during the day, so I can't answer them all. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't it doesn't feel awful that if I'd answered that call, would the situation be different and I have experience, I have lots of IPP clients and I've had lots of conversations over the period of time that I've done this work with people who are expressing self-harm or suicidal thoughts and talk them down off literal and metaphorical ledges. For this to have actually happened is, is, is really very distressing because I'm aware that we are often as legal representatives the only person that they feel they can express these things to because you know if they're in custody calls to, to family members and visits are observed by staff if they say these things to staff they get written down and so we're the often the only person that they feel able to put that onto and so it's, it's yeah it's just it's, it's extremely distressing on the 21st of june andrew sperling wrote to the same list of people matthew had written to a month earlier to inform them of his death it's really easy for people removed from it to just look at it as a number. Look at, you know, there are a number of people who've taken their life who are serving sentences. Some of them are, you know, after release. And unless you're in a way forced to really come to terms with what that actually means and how terrible it is for that person and their family, you can evade any responsibility for it. Despite lobbying from campaigners and the United Nations, Alex Chalk, the Justice Secretary, has now stated on the record that he is no longer considering resentencing as an option for the currently incarcerated IPP prisoners. There's been a decision to make for a long time about IPPs and, you know, the, the, the forks in the road where it looks like something's going to happen, but it's the easiest thing in the world to kick it into long grass, which is which has been happening over and over again. And everyone is terrified to do anything about it. And there is a cost, there's a cost to it. Uh, an inspectorate report after the government decided to ignore the Justice Select Committee's report and recommendations. And there's a marked increase in suicides and also in hopelessness. And that hopelessness is what leads to people doing what they did, what, what Matthew did. I don't really know how people can live with themselves by doing nothing. Talking about action plans and, you know, we, the, we, we keep seeing action plans. And, you know, when, when you're doing this work day in, day out, you see what the reality of the action plans are. They're almost meaningless. And it might be that somebody has, thinks it sounds good and looks good. They might even be genuinely, they might genuinely think this is going to make a difference, but it isn't making a difference. As it stands, 46% of IPP-serving prisoners who have never been released have been in prison more than 10 years over their original tariff. People who have been in custody and, and having the sentence hanging over them for a long time, 
they're not going to be fine. They're not just going to be fine. That they, you know, you can't just say, you know, we're done with you, you, you know, and, and that's your lot. You know, you need to invest time and support. It's quite common that people are not given the support that they need to be able to manage, uh, to be able, and I do to thrive. You know, there's there, some of these were young, young men and women when they went to prison. You know, they've got whole lives ahead of them, and the idea that they've got this kind of massive millstone over them for their whole lives is just is wrong, and it is just unfair and unreasonable and barbaric. I think your email pulled no punches at all. Was there any? one thing that you wanted the Justice Secretary to take away from it about Matthew? I think I wanted I wanted to say this was avoidable and you will keep having this happen over and over again unless you do something about it. The response that we received from the Ministry of Justice seemed to be premised on the idea that Matthew was in prison. All of the answers were generic answers about someone in custody when obviously Matthew had been in the community for a very long time. How are you feeling now about Matthew? In this work, inevitably, in addition to being a lawyer, I am a social worker, I am a counsellor, I am a therapist. I have to be all of those things in order to, to represent these people properly because they are these cases are uniquely complex and complicated and these people have been badly damaged by the experience of this sentence and they need all of those things in order to help them properly. There are hundreds of other IPPs who need this help, who don't have you know, support, uh, who, who need some light and some hope, otherwise there are going to be more and more and more Matthews in, unless we can, we can try and do something about it. The system is so broken that I feel sort of compelled to need to help and support them through that as best as I can and occasionally we get little wins we get good we get good results and little wins and that really that's like sucker for a, for a short period of time to keep to keep up the fight if you like having heard Matthew's tragic story and considering the numerous suicides of IPPs in the community I asked Madison and Nicole how they managed to keep going and to stay strong under their tough IPP license conditions and against all the odds I find strength and faith from my family because my family's been there from day dot. That's where I find my strength. For me, I am a woman of faith. I was raised a Christian. Um, I, I am a big believer and I don't believe that I would have been able to get through it without God. I have a lot of faith in, in my Lord and, and even, you know, the people, what, what people would see as a disadvantage or as a, as a knockback or a setback. Like, I'll always find a silver lining. Like, I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional. Sorry. Yeah, so, God plays a massive part in my life. Sorry. It's really it's really difficult because at the end of the day, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. We're in a 99-year licence. Set up to fail, always. If you want to get in touch, you can find me and the team on X, formerly known as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook or TikTok at trapped underscore pod. If you want to do something, you can tell a friend to listen to this series. Knowledge is power and the more who know, the harder it is for injustice to take place. If you want to do something more active, you can write your MP and tell them to raise questions about IPP prisoners in Parliament. To keep up to date with the Campaigns for Justice, search the hashtag JusticeForIPPs on social media. 
please subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and stay tuned for a new episode dropping soon.